right, let's start with prayer. O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasure your blessings and giver of life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alright, we have picked up some catechumens from elsewhere, which also reminds me that I need to update our catechumen list. So, we have folks who have come from Columbia, not Georgia, or South Carolina, but the country. Sebastian and Abigail, they just got here stateside four days ago? Wednesday, yep. Sorry, Wednesday. So, uh, they're living a little bit away, but this is the closest Orthodox Church to them, so this is where they're coming. You also have Kelly, who moved here two weeks ago or so? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, she is coming to us from Denver. Uh, not originally, but most recently. Uh, so, welcome aboard. I need to remind myself to add you to the catechumen list. Rita Gregory, if you want to come up here and sit in the throne, like that's fine. Minutes, but I, I so, I hate to say this. Last week, I had other things to attend to, etc., so I wasn't here for the class. How... How deep did you go on the noose? Not deep enough. That's a good and, answer. And, uh, okay. That was not uh, pre-programmed either. No, no, there were there were also, uh, I, I think, um, uh, Aaron, I think you had a question on atonement that uh, I thought you'd be better off answering. Just uh, okay. <laughs> So I will say this, like I told you last week, this is a guinea bit. You guys are guinea pigs, and this is a guinea pig book. She talks about the atonement so much sometimes it kind of drives me a little nuts and like almost wraps everything into it. Sometimes overkill, in my opinion. Sorry, Korea. Uh, so, what was the question? Well, so obviously coming from forty-three years of Protestantism, right? Um, substitutionary atonement is kind of in my DNA. The the language she uses and talking about it in the book. It, it, so just hearing it through my lens, it almost sounds like it's not necessary. You know. It, you so good. Yeah, no, that's. I know that's not what she probably means, but that's where I'm hearing it. And so this is the trouble with the language and the different strands of traditions, etc. Is that what she and I don't remember because honestly, there are certain parts I just skim over because I don't know. This is an introductory text and it kind of makes me go to sleep. I'm going to be completely honest with you. So like, I get it's a very nice introductory thing. But I want, like, the meat and potatoes, and I'm going to give you a meat and potatoes thing today so for the next week we can hit something with, like, some a little bit more substance. Uh, this is, as it says, and she would say, right, it's a beginner's guide, right? This is like you're talking to the grandma. So some of the things I think, uh, I think I mentioned in one class, like, to talk about the specifics of some of these things, you have to be not only a doctor in theology, you have to have, like, incredible exposure to all of the varieties of Reformed Christianity that's out there. How do the Lutherans talk about it? At what center are we talking about Roman Catholicism? Like, there's a lot of variety of stuff going on. So, I think the, the challenge is a lot of people got a form of what this is the gospel is penal substitutionary atonement, which is, I would say, and this is my language, right? It's, it's different than substitutionary atonement. Like, the Orthodox Church presumes that Christ is our substitute, right? He's the second Adam. He's the one who is in our place and does all the things that we couldn't do. I think the penal aspect is this kind of particularity about the wrath of God the Father having to be poured out upon the Son because we deserved it and the Son stood in the way of the wrath. And that is kind of like the way of presenting the Gospel. Which, there is language of wrath, right? You have the sons of wrath in Ephesians. You have Romans 1, right? The Orthodox, the way they typically, the Greek fathers will talk about that, is that we live the wrath. It's not God the Father, like, like Zeus-like, throwing wrath down upon us or pouring out wrath as much as the way that the fathers talk about it. And this is even Romans 1. Paul says he gives them over. This actually wraps in actually nicely to the noose and what the problem is, right? So the challenge is we had communion with God. We were attracted. I'm talking about Eve. We, right? We, like Adam and Eve, repeat their sin, right? 
uh, we're not, this is the Orthodox Church would say, we're not born with a particular guilt because like in Adam, now everyone has Adam's guilt, right? We have inherited his sinfulness. We've inherited, and I could just say, we inherited death. We're going to die. And how does Paul talk about in Romans? Uh, and in Hebrews too, is this aspect of we're afraid. We don't actually have faith. Because this is how Chrysostom works through uh, Romans. Why is Abraham justified? Sorry if I'm going like 30,000 feet or like, because I'm getting, trying to get into the weeds to draw this out a little bit, okay? Uh, what just, why is Abraham justified by faith? Because he believed God could raise his son from the dead. And Chrysostom, that's the focus. It's not, and what can happen, and I know there's a criticism in Reformed circles of even talking like this, it's not justification by faith because he believed in the doctrine of justification by faith. Therefore, he's saved because he doesn't believe his works can save him. That comes 15, 1600 years later, right? That's not how Paul is thinking. The problem is all of us get programmed in a way when we get to it or our particular struggles with sin. We come to Paul and we have these questions and we want Paul to answer our questions, but that's not actually what he's talking about. So the challenge for us, the problem that we have inherited is the fact if you look at Eve, what is she attracted to? What? Appearance. Appearance, right? Why does she want... We all think it's an apple, but it doesn't tell us it's an apple, but our imagination has filled that in, right? The fruit, right? What what does she want? So there's an appearance. It looks pleasing to her. But what is the deception that is also besides what she thinks? Good for wisdom. will be like God. You will be like God. So the basic movement of sin is from dependence upon God to autonomy, self-sufficiency. I'm going to be like God. I don't actually need him. I don't need to actually obey what he has put in place. And so what happens is, why are they kicked out of the garden? The whole basic thrust of the the early church, I'll just say early church, was Adam and Eve were, this is more like Irenaeus and some of the Greek fathers. They talk like this a little bit. In the Latin fathers, it gets a little bit, a little different. But Adam and Eve were basically children. Not like diminutive little children, but they were not, they didn't get 30 years to grow up, right? So they needed to learn how to exercise their will. They needed to learn how to become uh, adults, to grow up, right? Because how do you have a a loving relationship with God? It's not, so what happened was their will chose something to become adults, to grow up without God, right? They wanted to be God without God. And so almost Genesis does this. It's just this repetition of like choosing for myself or what I think or my passions uh, is at the root of every passion is self-love. St. Maximus, the confessor, right? We, we might say pride, but I think self-love is a little bit more. Uh, we choose pleasure, right? We choose our glory or vainglory. We want the attention. We want the. So what has happened with our repeating as we see all throughout the Old Testament, what is the Tower of Babel? It's just another example of the same thing, right? I'm going to replace Eden by building up this garden temple so I can be with God without God being present. (laughs) That's why God, it looks really vindictive if you look at it in a different way. Why does God chase them out of the garden? Can't he just forgive them and let them be? Or the Tower of Babel, like, oh, they're going to get close. It's almost like, oh, they can't get up here because then they'll like get the ambrosia and then they'll become like us Greek gods or something. That's not what is going on. It is that God wants to have us be humans, mediators of the created order and communing with the spiritual. And that requires us to have uh, learned how to train our will and discern what is good. So atonement, Christ does all of this stuff for us. And now he's blazed the path for us to be able to return to the father. He has made our flesh that was sentenced to death because we chose not God, right? Uh, We chose to live off of something that was not him, life-giving. We chose to... uh, And so, now, atonement is... He is our substitute. I mean, this is... It's in the language of the liturgy, right? So, I don't really have a problem with substitutionary atonement. It's just how that gets played out in certain circles. And I would even say, like, weaponized, or just, like, that's the metaphor... 
and there's no other way of talking about Jesus. And so when people start having questions or like, have you, have you probably already seen that liturgy also talks about God and Jesus in all sorts of different ways. There's a real emphasis on he, Jesus, the healer, right? Uh, there is real, and, and that is part of soteriology. Actually, soteriology means, soter means healer and healing. It doesn't just mean uh, like salvation in a courtroom. So what I would say is, in the, the early church, you see this in the scripture, there's all sorts of metaphors of trying to describe our break with God. So we need Christ as our substitute, the one who is going to actually atone, whose blood is shed for us. Uh, we need him to be the wisdom of God to show us how to live. We need him to be the prophetic truth, the, tr the word who speaks the truth of God. Uh, we need him to be... We just look at the book of Hebrews, right? He's better than Moses. He's better than uh, Abraham. He, he's better than everybody because he's God, right? So I'm going on and on and on. Am I getting close to answering? Yeah, kind of? yeah. Okay. It I could get even more technical and I could give you an essay that I think, because I heard this so much and in some ways I think she says this a little bit too much in ways that I'm not comfortable with uh, because I think it's not actually... What it was was Orthodox who are shaped by our liturgical life and our sources, they come to the West. So a lot of the, the Russians, the, the Bolshevik Revolution. So like we have today the commemoration of the Holy New Martyrs and Confessions of Russia. Part of the reason why you all are here and I'm here is because of communism. I don't mean that America rah-rah. I mean <laughs> uh, that the communists pushed out and caused massive Russian refugees who brought the church with them and they then were some of the uh, trailblazers of putting stuff into English uh, getting access to orthodox materials for us over here in the west the Greeks were here but they didn't have the same I don't know is Joel looking for a chair I don't want him to feel like he can't I'll make sure he doesn't walk away <laughs> you just getting a chair okay um, but what they did when they came over here is they encountered, you know, uh, mid 20th century Roman Catholicism before Vatican II. And they encountered reformed pastors of 100 years ago, or less than 100 years ago, but getting there, right? So they encountered ways of talking that were very foreign to them. And so I think what you had was a reaction to that. Like, we don't talk like that, right? Uh, I mean, you could just, t like, how many of your church experience, this is nothing like what your church experience was growing up? Everyone? <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine if you were raised in this, and then you go to, I don't know, a mega church, or you go to a Presbyterian church, where there's, like, no images, it's just whitewashed, and there's an hour and a half long sermon... I mean, people would probably Orthodox would think I preach long at about 15 or 20 minutes, but right. Like, so it's just beyond that. The metaphors, the ways that we talk, it's just different. So I think there was a reaction and I think what has happened, that reaction that caught on, there was also an evangelicalism about 20 years ago. There was a lot of people who were like, this stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And they grabbed onto Orthodoxy in ways that I think were caricatures. There's little bits of truth, because I have encountered, because I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. And then I look up penal substitutionary atonement, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> no, I forgot. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't raised like that. So that wasn't the main metaphor that I was given growing up. Uh, so I think, though, that there is a broader way of talking about atonement and that orthodoxy liturgically as a seamless garment. I don't know if you realize, like, orthodox worship theology, the what we teach, the ascetical life, all of it, it's all given to you. It's not me making it up and saying, this is what the special program that I have that St. Anne's is going to do. It's, I'm not making this stuff up, <laughs> right? It's all given to us. So it is in that there is all of these metaphors and ways of life that are given to us that I think um, gives us many metaphors and ways of coming at and understanding salvation. I think there's been a downplaying of substitutionary atonement, just like there was also a downplaying of reason, uh, which I think is not actually understanding what reason is in the Greek fathers. But 
none of you guys are studying at that level. We don't need to go there, right? But if you have questions, if there's anything in general that you're struggling with with Orthodox theology and you're coming up against something you're like, I don't understand, come and talk to me. I may understand exactly what you're talking about because I've went through that struggle and I had to make some changes or I read something and be like, well, I think actually that author, just because somebody is Orthodox does not mean that every single thing that comes out of their mouth is truth. If you know church history well enough, you know, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if you know church history well enough, where do most of the heresies come from? Did they come from without? Nestorius, what was he? They come from within, right? That's how Paul talks in Acts, right? The wolves are going to come from within. Who, who is Nestorius, right? Like, he's the patriarch of Constantinople, right? Like, heresy or... Right, so there's always a response. In orthodoxy, it's not the responsibility of the clerk. It is the responsibility of the bishops and the clergy to make sure that there's right teaching. But it's also the faithful who safeguard and make sure that clergy are teaching what is actually what the tradition teaches, what scripture teaches, etc. So there are times where there's an overemphasis of certain things, I think, as reaction or because they're in a certain context. And so there's a famous book by Vladimir Lossky called The Mystical Theology of the Orthodox Church. And his... Um, professor who he wrote his dissertation under was like one of the most famous Thomists of the 20th century. And the mystical theology of the Eastern Orthodox Church in many ways is dealing with the fact that he had a Thomist for a professor. Like, we don't have to bring Professor uh, Freud in, but like there's an obvious, like, a reaction. So like, we're going to focus on mysticism as opposed to like, what Aquinas seems as like this very rational and cerebral type. I'm probably going way too deep, but like <laughs> there is in the church... There's a great story by Metropolitan Callistos where, where uh, in the Church of England in mid-20th century, there was even books being written about like the death of God. And you had bishops who were just like, I don't know if I believe in God. And so Metropolitan Callistos where was giving a talk there in a cathedral in England, and somebody asked him, you know, you know we're having these bishops, uh, uh, I think it's Robinson's Honest to God book is what they're specifically talking about. I just don't, they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in these things. Like, what would, that, what would they do, like, in the Orthodox Church? Which one of the where, you know, thinking about it, and then he's like, they'd probably throw them in the river. Because <laughs> there are stories and reactions. I mean, when you had the Bolshevik Revolution, and you had uh, clergy and hierarchs who went with the Soviet government, and they wanted to basically Protestantize the Orthodox Church. They wanted to uh, downgrade, like, saint veneration. They wanted to throw away a lot of the fasting and cynical stuff. So that was put away, like that's like rejected by the people because the people said, no, we're not doing this. So there's a sense of the need of the people to be able to actually defend and know. So, um, all right, I'm talking a million miles a minute. Uh, we have, and we're going to use, but I, like I said last time, I'm going to start going a little bit deeper uh, by giving you a little bit extra reading uh, you don't necessarily have to read it, but if this is making you go to sleep a little bit at certain places because uh, it's just not enough, or then next week we're going to read John Damascus on virtues and vices, and he kind of lays out, this is what a human is. This is what it means to actually like uh, be Christ-like. This is what it means to have spiritual warfare and struggle. Uh, so we'll go through that. We're not going to finish it next week. I know for a fact. It's only five pages, but it's dense. It, it's not like, you know, you encountered uh, Barsanufios and you did a house blessing. Okay? I think that's in a future chapter. Does anyone have any questions about the chapter that was for today? Which I believe was chapter 16. Let me just ask this and be completely honest. It's okay. Eventually you're going to have to be completely honest in front of me anyways. Uh, who is keeping up with the reading? Oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. How are you guys finding this book? Okay. Yeah. Good. So last week I'm going to sit with chapter 15 instead of doing chapter 16. Uh, there was discussion of the noose and watchful prayer, which will tie into where I was talking about the fall and what our spiritual struggle is. Does anyone have the book? I'm going to guess everyone has this at home. Okay, never mind. I was going to use this as 
have a book, but I just recently started coming here. Okay. Do you want a book? Yes. There you go. Thank you. You too? Yeah. Is anyone else while I'm throwing out books here need a book? <laughs> Okay, so when you all read the part about the noose, what did you think the noose was? Like Somebody tell me what the noose is. Or well, it's really hard to say, but I, I think like almost like a, the metaphor that worked for me was the radio receiver. Yeah. Expand. Okay, well, it's more <laughs> like, uh, like she talked about one part about being like in a red I think it was in here because I do read stuff online and stuff too, but it, but it was about yeah. like being at a, like when you're at the beach or in your redwood forest or something like that, that experience you have of like, it's not like reason where you're like um, dealing with facts and things like that. It's more like your inner self that you, that even though we know the brain is where the mind is, that we instinctively feel is more like central to us and in our heart. Right. So, most of us, remember last week, those who were here last week, at the very beginning, before I started recording, I started talking about, like, if people want to argue about stuff, that I don't really like arguing with people, because it's just like sparring of ideas, and usually what is going on when people are sparring with ideas, not all the time, but many times, especially if somebody wants to argue about something, there's almost always something else going on than the ideas, because... We, as Americans, we think, right? We think, when we think a lot. Or, if we don't think, we go to the opposite pole. What is the opposite pole? We feel, right? And what, uh, Frederica is, is like, the noose or the center of, the heart of man is not our thinking, because, goodness gracious, help us. <laughs> Distraction, especially now, we're really distracted people. Or you get our emotions, right? And we also have this idea that emotions are not rational, right? Reason and then irrationality, right? Like man is rational and woman is irrational. That, no, actually man is extremely emotional. We just like to hide it and do other things with it, right? We just express our emotions in different ways, right? Because we have this kind of, these dichotomies that the church historically didn't think like that. There is like, there is an inner person that is, thinks, and feels, but there's a communion that is there when you have prayed to God that is not just your emotions, but there's an interiority. Uh, the challenge with this is that most of us live out of here or out here, uh, or this is like our emotions, right? And we don't actually live here. This is really weird for us to think, but in the ancient world, when they talk about like your bowels or your gut, like they talk about like the center of you as being here. But if you think about it, when you're the most peaceful, you, your center, I mean, this is my experience, and it's testified by the church, but your, your experience, when you are centered, <laughs> right, this language isn't even there, like, you live out of here. So, the whole kind of um, program, as it were, of the church, why we do liturgy the way we do, our focus on the sacraments, the way we read scripture, the fasts, the festal cycle, all of this stuff is so that we can learn how to bring our distracted uh, feeling self to be integrated and brought into wholeness and stillness here with real communion with God. Because otherwise, this is the problem. Eve uh, and Adam, they feel and they think their ways out of communion with God. I want, I want to be like God, right? Like, and then what, of course, as soon as Adam and Eve are caught, they're naked, right? They're not clothed. What does Adam do? It was the woman. So we can't deal with the shame of like, uh, hey. And so, of course, then we pawn it off on somebody else, right? Like, no, it was, they're the ones who actually tricked me. So the reality of the, the uh, watchfulness of the heart, this is what I was talking about in the sermon by trying to use different language. Like, when we attend to ourselves... That is because we are addicted to the world, right? Adam and Eve started the process of our addictions. And I'm saying addiction, I don't like, we'll be like, oh, but there's kind of like alcoholism as an addiction or, right? And then we kind of clinicalize it. I'm not, I don't mean it in a clinical way, but why do you get angry about something? Why do you get upset? What brings chaos into you? It's usually... Because, not usually, it's because there's something out there that you are 
passionately attached to that you think that you can't live without it. <coughs> right? Did you repeat that last thing? There's something out there that you're passionately attached to that you think that you can't live without. Most of our fears is because we're afraid of death or scarcity, right? Uh, most of our anger is, again, because we don't have control over something. Would you uh, say a good way to handle that is to watch your thoughts? I'm going to talk about a whole... We're going to talk about for a few weeks different things because... And this is all... It's not a... It's not like a method in the sense of like three easy hacks like Kabbalah <laughs> allow you to... But in some senses, these are like hacks in the sense of like the church has 2,000 years of experience of having dealt with these particular passions. Passions are, are addictions, Right? Uh, when we go through this, where did I put the John of Damascus? I'll find it and hand it out before you guys leave. Um, he goes through and he just categorizes. He categorizes what it is that we're attached to. What are the basic, the pride of life, right? First John, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, right? That's sin. <laughs> How do you combat those things? Well, the, the fathers will say uh, things, and they'll even, for example, cash in about fasting. They connect whether or not you can control your stomach, what you put in, is going to help you control things below your stomach, if you get what my flow here, right? Uh, there is, a, your hat and coat are right there. Thank you. So... There is, because this is all bodily too, because death, our addictions, our, our things are also like it's, you know, the metaphor from C.S. Lewis, like a car doesn't run on water, it needs gas. Sin is that, wa like it's the stuff that doesn't allow us to run. That's why we're going to die. Sin literally kills us because it has distorted our relation. Our spirit should be uh, in control. We should be an organized person, but we're not. We're a dis distracted, chaotic mess. And some of us can make put on great airs of showing that we have it together, but that's usually because we're really overly rational and that what we really deal with are things that you can't see, right? So it's like anger is usually, lust is usually there, greed. And so the fathers even talk about like stuff of the flesh, like uh, <coughs> inability to stop eating, right? Like an addiction to food. Uh, that is less of an issue than uh, spirit, like pride. Self-love is the issue, right? So they'll have a whole hierarchy because we've brought in all this dissolution. So what is watchfulness? Where does uh, are the beginning of spiritual warfare? Because we need to get back to the virtues because we are addicted. Our vices are out of control, right? This is why Korea makes this point about emotions because we, we kind of think that emotions are irrational, but they're actually behind every emotion is at least an idea, which is why we feel that way. It might be hard for us because we haven't attended to ourselves or paid attention to what actually <coughs> makes us upset or whatever. But the whole process of attending to ourselves, knowing ourselves of watchfulness, vigilance, right? We even say this right after the consecration for the vigilance uh, you know, watchfulness is that sin starts off as an I idea a temptation is presented to you uh, St. Maximus talks about this uh, in, it doesn't matter what you see, but even like you're, you can smell things and they can bring you to sinful thoughts, right? They can bring you back and make you remember uh, is we should be able to interact with the world without having passions attached to it, but our problem is we interact with the world and our passions are interacting with the world right we can't look at somebody without lusting after them we can't uh, see our father without wanting to punch them him in the face right uh, these kind of like I'm being very even down to like I can't eat food without needing to like gorge myself right uh, and there might be a complicated set of reasons why we have those addictions but they all come in temptation so watchfulness is being able to reconnect the noose with God and being aware of when attacks come, when temptations come. And so there's a whole set of basic, uh, the fathers have like seven steps. I think, I think a few of them say eight steps 
where the idea is born. This is also outlined in simpler form in James 1, right? Like sin is presented, and then eventually it breeds death in you, right? But the reality is you're presented with something. Most of us are not at the beginning where we can be presented with something and be like, no, I'm going to do the Jesus prayer, or I'm like, God help me, and I'm not going to engage with this passion. Most of us, with our passions, we're at the end of the line, which is called uh, addiction or habitual sin, where we've completely, there's not the idea that comes and we just go, no, you know, we're just like, yay! (laughs) Here I am! (laughs) I love this! Then you feel bad about it afterwards. And you just, this cycle, instead of being able to, uh, and this is this is why the Desert Fathers say, Anthony, it's like you have to expect temptation to your last breath. There, you don't get out of this spiritual warfare. Uh, and so in his humility, right, that acu- accusation of self is the basic place because you know, take heed lest you fall, right? You might have thought you've conquered this particular passion, and in your pride, you've just set yourself up for like three other uh, addictions. Because <laughs> you can just trade stuff too, right? Like, oh... I used to smoke cigarettes. Now, all I do is eat, right? That's a common thing. If you break smoking, you start eating, right? So we we under we basically do understand this stuff, but then we kind of, there is with the spiritual life, for various reasons, uh, we don't think that there's much that we can do with it. This is the reason I became Orthodox, is what I encountered was not just like, oh, liturgy and all that, but like I actually thought and found tools that would actually be able to help me be conformed to the image of Christ that I did not see actually being used in other places. What, like, how do I pray? Most people are like, just spend some quiet time with Jesus. And like, unstructured quiet time with Jesus is really hard. <laughs> it's hard to have unstructured time with a significant other, other, right? Like you, usually we don't just kind of like, <laughs> we need to go do something. Let's go bowl. Let's go to the movie. Do people bowl still? Yes. It has to be a yes. cool. It has to be a cool bowling alley now, no. with like alcohol or something. People. Good. Yeah. I need to go back. It's been a while. Yes. I have kind of a practical language question. Yep. You're talking about how we so often are between two extremes, thinking or feeling, but how. If thinking is over here and feeling is over here, we need to find that balance within the heart. What verb, per se, would you ascribe to the act of focusing in on the heart? Like, what do you call that? If you're advising someone to not think too much and not feel too much, they need to what in their heart? So I would say it's not, uh, thank you for asking for clarification. It's not that you suddenly don't think and you don't feel, right? It's that those things are in submission to Christ and there's a calmness to it, that there is humility in our thinking, that we know very well, I am a human, right? I cannot, my reason is not going to be able to understand anything and I need to submit to the providence of God about certain things. There are things that are beyond me and I just can't know about it because we have a tendency or and with emotions to be able, I would say the best counsel that I know is Accept the emotion. The emotion is pointing to a reality that you need to attend to, but that doesn't mean that your emotions are necessarily truthful in and of themselves. They are like a warning sign that something's going on, right? So it might be that you're really afraid and you have a really reasonable, like there's a reason why you're afraid and it's reasonable. You could be afraid and it's not actually reasonable. There is a reason for you to be afraid, but it's not real. Right, So there needs to be a kind of, in many ways, what we're really getting at with the fathers is that this is uh, the ascetical psychology of the church, right? It is feel, think, monitoring the ups and downs and which ways and what fors and how at the bottom of it, we're pretty messed up people if we're actually really honest with ourselves and those deep thoughts that we're just like, no, I'm not going to deal with that. Like, no, that... that you're going to act <laughs> those thoughts are usually because they're showing you what you really do desire what you feel but we're used to suppressing or not dealing with them but what that really means is we need God to help us free us from those things this is part of what the humility of prayer of fasting the ascetical life is it's kind of 
a constant, like the blind man today. Like, we're all blind. We're not going to think or feel our ways to eyes. <laughs> right? We're not going to magically get ourselves eyesight. Christ is going to have to bring this to us. One of the things that I would suggest in, because she doesn't hit on this, and we're going to get a kind of like outline with John Damascus, is that there are books. And when I suggest books, I always suggest uh, that if you start reading it, let me know. And if you have questions, talk to me. Because, uh, like I was saying in the homily, right? Like, there is our, we think we can be self-sufficient and we're, everything is all good and we're kind of like not even aware of ourselves or we can go in the other direction and we like don't even have a self and we don't even like love ourselves in such a way and we just have self-condemnation that runs everything, right? Uh, so all of us can be in a mix of all those places. So if you read something like, this is a short book, The Way of the Aesthetics, but this is not an easy book. And I don't mean like there's a bunch of footnotes of German scholars in it. What I mean is this will challenge you, right? This will, and I suggest, especially as we're going to Lent, this is part of the reason I'm starting to talk about this stuff. When we hit Lent, you, if you think things are tough now or like asking of you, Lent takes it, we drop it a gear, okay? Uh, Lent in the church is considered kind of the tithe of the year. It's a tenth of the year that we give in special dedication to God. Uh, there's the book, The Way of the Ascetics. I also, I think I've given, I think Richard, I think, to, like, there's this book and you, uh, called Defeating Sin, Overcoming Our Passions and Changing for, Forever uh, that kind of goes through this and works through this. There are, there are various books uh, and resources and the tradition itself. You're going to realize, like, what I'm talking about, I'm just echoing what John Damascus, what St. Athanasius was saying, what the Desert Fathers are saying. Did I answer your question? Okay. If I didn't, it's okay. We can keep, keep coming at it. The, especially because, not just vocabulary, but just these concepts, period. Because a lot of what passes for, uh, there was one essay, but it was like 15 pages that I wanted to hand out to you guys. I think I'll just email it instead of, because that's a lot of pa paper. Uh, and you can read through it. It's just made the path of transformation. A lot of us in the churches that we would have grown up with, there wasn't really transformation. It was, and I think this is just kind of where a lot of modern Christianity is. It's all external uh, relationships with God. So what we do to be saved is we ask God to change his mind about us. We don't change. We want justification. We want... <laughs> the get out of jail free card, right? Or the other focus is like, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So therefore, I need to be saved in order that I don't burn forever. Orthodoxy doesn't talk like that. It doesn't mean that we don't believe that there is a, uh, I'm even going to be hesitant, like there is a reality that is uh, experiencing uh, the torment. But have you guys not experienced the torment of sin? <laughs> Don't we all already basically get a foretaste of heaven and hell now because of what we've done? We've experienced the wrath of God by him allowing us to pursue our own fantasies. This is another aspect of the whole thing. Is like we live in like la-la land most of the time. We don't actually live in reality. Reality is the truth and most of us we live in our addictions and we see everything remember those beer goggles like the they try to scare you <laughs> off getting drunk agent i'm gonna guess they didn't do that in jamaica <laughs> this is a very i don't even know if they do it anymore no. do they do it I've done you're the i did it one time in high school <laughs> is dare still a thing yes yes, yes. and mad yes not as much not as much okay but there it is okay Basically, they try to scare teenagers. This is just a tactic. Age will scare teenagers. For those who didn't grow up here in the states, or to like, you don't want to get drunk because this is what being drunk is like. And they put on goggles and you can't see straight, which is not what being drunk feels like at all. But, <laughs> but th th that's not what salvation is. That's not even what damnation. Like we experience and live in these states and the whole process of the salvation of what God is wanting to do, the therapy of the church 
is to wean us off of our delusions, our fantasies, our addictions, where we want to live because we're afraid of reality, really. Because we don't want to die on a cross. Because that really is what all of this is. Like, death to self means not doing these things, right? Is it a difficult thing? Yeah. Yes. So, that is the ascetical path. And this is something, and this is what you get from, like, the way of the ascetics by Tito Colliander. Is at the very beginning, this is, because he summarizes, basically, books like Unseen Warfare, which is just a bigger version of this, or uh, some of the later, they call them Neptic Fathers, which is basically fathers of watchfulness, who teach you how to pray, and, uh, okay, if you have this particular vice, here's some, like, advice of how to deal with that vice. Uh, virtues, like, here's, like, if you want to obtain dispassion, if you want to actually love everyone the way that you're supposed to love them, uproot some vices. And a lot of the fathers, the advice is, like, you need to focus for now, like, on one thing. If you were to focus on chastity, if you were to focus on, and chastity is not just not fornication, right? It is a way of being uh, and how you interact with the world, right? <coughs> there is that wisdom is basically uh, sophroni, uh, sophrosini is the, uh, the Greek behind that, which is kind of like well-orderedness, right? Uh, you get with um, all of these particular passions, you need to go in a certain direction. If you take one passion on and you look at what the virtue is that is the opposite of it, or what you need to grow in, just if you focus on that, you'll see movement in other places of your life. If you're to just be faithful in your prayers, you will be more aware of God, and you might be able to realize, you know what, when I am feeling stressed out, I turn to X, Y, and Z. <laughs> right? Like, and so therefore, when it's one o'clock in the morning, I should probably be asleep and not awake, watching stuff I shouldn't watch or do it like calling people angrily, but, you know, whatever it is, right? You have it at 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Those do be prayerful to bring God into that, to connect with him instead of all the stuff. You're going to feel better. It's not easy. And the fathers talk about this with prayer, right? Like who loves praying? completely honest I love it dirt while I'm doing it <laughs> theoretically I love praying the actual like my heart's messed up that like when I'm there like yeah it's great but like m most of the time and the father says you have to force yourself to pray mm -hmm. yeah. and if you're old enough and wise enough or uh, you realize enough you have to force yourself to do all sorts of things because our general tendency, especially now, is to be really lazy. We have to force ourselves to love our spouses. We have to force ourselves to, like, love our children sometimes. And you'll be like, oh, when I have my kids, just wait. <laughs> yeah. Do we have to always pray out loud? No. No, no, no. It helps. The fathers, when they talk about advice about the, the Jesus prayer, do you all know what the Jesus prayer is? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's other variations. You can say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, right? There's, but this is the kind of, um, the Desert Fathers, they call them arrow prayers. Uh, there's different kinds, or this kind of repetitious prayer, like the Jesus prayer. Arrow prayers would be like, you're going through your day, a temptation comes, and you're like, Lord, make haste to help me. So it's like you're like throwing an arrow up into the sky. Uh, they say to start out with the Jesus prayer audibly, because we're pretty weak. And that if you make it internal, this isn't to say don't do it internally uh, or non-audibly, but it helps to do it audibly so that you can actually listen to yourself. Because this is also, you realize in the ancient world, when Paul tells Timothy, like, pay attention to the reading, the public reading of scripture. That's because everybody got together and they read scripture out loud. When Augustine saw Ambrose uh, reading, uh, he was amazed that Ambrose was reading silently. Because in the ancient world, you didn't read silently. Everybody read out loud. So, I, I'm not... Nice historical fact, Father. Great, thanks. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my point is this. It, it helps for us to do it audibly. There might be situations. You're sitting in a car with three other people, and if you're sitting over there mumbling the Jesus prayer, they're probably going to think there's something wrong with you. Okay. Right? 
So doing it internally is good. This is exactly why we have prayer robes, right? Like of differing lengths is also so that you can count your prayers. But by count, it's not like, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, it's in her. One. <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ, two. That's part of the reason, like, this is a hundred knots. When I hit the cross, I know that I did a hundred Jesus prayer. And it's something, just like everything, we need form. It's not just how I feel. I need form. I need structure to be able to actually structure my prayer life. So we're kind of covering all sorts of things, and there, we can go into more depth. But I just kind of want us to actually start getting a little bit deeper into, and as soon as you start reading this, if you can get through the first page, good for you, because there probably is the first page is all we're going to get. Uh, but I want us to be able to dig in with more meat. And after that, we'll probably hit, like, we need to talk about Lent, because Lent is coming. I'm going to talk about fasting again, just because some of this will be maybe first time, or you did it with a nativity fast, and maybe you need to add a day of fasting, or, you know, actually take meat out of your diet, right? Because for those of you who are new, when I suggest for fasting, especially for catechumens, I suggest going at it slowly. And if you have particular issues, dietary restrictions, etc., you can just talk to me. There was... Does anyone have any questions over the, the, the wide net that I just threw? Yes? Well, it's not exactly um, <clears throat> But is there a really good way for us to tell whatever we're actually seeing with our noose unclouded versus just our mind being delusional? It's like sometimes whenever I'm praying, I like my mind will reply as if it's God and I, I have to stop back and be like no no is, this is you can't you can't act his part you have to actually wait on him <laughs> and things like that tell me you're charismatic without telling me you're charismatic <laughs> <laughs> the church sorry I need to sit for a second I've been standing for hours um, the church is very cautious about experience not experience in general, but the idea that audible talking of appearances, miracle, like, it's, we obviously, like, talk about these things. It's all through the geography, etc. But the focus is never, pr if you're praying, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, I'm just going to talk around this thing, right? Uh, we don't pray for the experience. Are any of you familiar with uh, the statue of Teresa of Avila? I think, I believe it's in Rome. I could be wrong. She's like in a state of ecstasy and there's an angel with this giant uh, spear to like, you know, ravish her basically. And there's this kind of like, is that what it means to like union with God? Is this kind of like, <clears throat> no, it usually means that you're sitting there washing the dishes and there's a baby crying in the background and there's a bill that needs to be paid and you are entrusting yourself in God so that you don't uh, just blow up with rage or, you know, crack because of the stress or the pressure, right? There is a humility of constant prayer and communion with him that is something deeper than just experience, per se. Does that make sense? It is experience, but it is not typically this kind of flashy audible thing and if you're thinking and voicing talking to yourself as if you're god don't do that yeah. just lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me sinner. this is part of the reason why we have the prayers right morning and evening prayers they teach us how to pray because a lot of us are very untutored in how we pray like father god just we just we just we just right and then you just kind of have these things and it's all basically like santa and that's not what prayer is yes I noticed something in uh, in, in Protestant prayer groups uh, when you would end a prayer you would you would end it you would not end it in like in the name of the Father Son of the Holy Spirit you would say in just in the name of the Father or in the name of uh, Jesus the reason why they do that is because throughout the book of Acts it is the authority of the name of Jesus so there is a scriptural reason why they talk like that it's just Orthodox have always put it into a Trinitarian context. Because what happens after a while, uh, somebody was telling me about this experience they had over Christmas where they went to a church, and their experience was, you, if you had just gone to that church without knowing anything, 
you would never know what they believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because all they do is talk about Jesus all the time. And a lot of times, even their language betrays that they don't even think there's a difference between the Father and the Son. Probably because they don't have the theology to actually think through those things. Or like that there's, right? Or that the Spirit is another person of the Trinity, right? So uh, that is why Protestant prayer groups usually do that. There's a scriptural reason, but there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I can say, like, in the name of Jesus, such and such. I was going to say, um, this is probably a shared experience, but I knew I needed to step away from Protestantism when my peers started praying, hey God, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Such a lack of reverence. Yes. And so, and this is this is something about orthodoxy too. It's like there is, oh, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I've encountered it, uh, especially uh, like waxing very eloquent about Abba Father, right? Which this brings up uh, at the uh, at the Mincinoxus, the way the, the church has a very stately formal way of doing things. But at the same time, I don't know about what your experience is. Some of it might still be a little bit too foreign and you're still getting used to it. But for me, having been in other contexts of worship, uh, there is a formality here, but also like a familial, like homey, homeliness to it that is not, I'm not digging on Roman Catholics, but like there's a kind of like, <laughs> it's even in the way they do the altar. It's like the altar, like there's a certain roboticness about stuff that orthodoxy doesn't have the roboticness about it. Uh, and you have St. John Chrysostom to go on the Abba Father. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where like to make a huge deal that we can call on God as daddy, which is it's debated whether Abba actually is like Semitic for daddy. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> You have St. John Chrysostom, and he's talking about the requirements of uh, presbyters or uh, episcopoi for overseers and Titus, and he's talking about, you know, like, uh, the judgment of, like, vainglory and how, like, we're going to be judged for our vainglory. And, uh, and then the next, he's talking, when he's talking about, um, in Titus, where it says those who, um, the Cretans, they're liars, right? And they only follow their bellies. And he's like, why is God, why is Paul quoting some random Greek poet. He says, because God tries every possible way to communicate with us, right? He used a star, since we just had nativity, and this is what Christism says, he used a star to get uh, the astrologist from Persia to actually come and see the Messiah, right? So he says, God is like the dad who talks to his children like Ubu Gaga. He says... Uh, with food, he doesn't use the Greek like the proper names for the food, but he uses like pet name, like these. So it's like, how many going to eat? Like that's how Chrysostom, who's like, you know, you'd think like he's very strong <laughs> in what he says, preaching, and then he's talking about God as the one who's like flying the airplane into the kid's mouth in order to feed the kid, right? So I'm using that as an example. Like Orthodoxy has like here's the structure, here's what it's supposed to be, right? We say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean in all of that that we can't have that deep intimacy. This is just a, a broader cultural problem. We just exist in a culture that wants to make everything at our level. Suck. What? Wants to make everything suck. <laughs> <laughs> to use that language, yeah. <laughs> but, like, there's no respect. There's no sense of boundaries. There's no sense of, like, older people actually... Uh, we should respect them even if we don't think they have the wisdom that they should already have at that age, right? Like Obedience. Obedience. I don't want to derail everything, but a lot of what you said uh, sounds Jungian to me. Sounds what? Like Jung. Jung. So <laughs> I, I know. So it's like, the, I don't want these parts of me to become autonomous. Is it the goal like integrating your psyche? Kind of you and I can talk about that over coffee. Okay. I will say kind of, but within the specifics of orthodoxy, it's it's not... I'd be careful with you. Yeah. Something that I constantly run into, like, with conversations, because, like, I'm, all of my friends are Protestant, is I think, like, they mistake the reverence for, like, an impersonalness, sort of. And that's the thing I run into, like, time and time again. They're like, 
well, Jesus died for us, so we don't need, you know, all of this anymore and all that sort of thing. Like, kind of like, they bring up, like, the veil being torn and the, like, and so it's, like, yeah. that sort of thing. They're, they're, they're misinterpreting what it meant. Like, they have access to be able to call on God as Father now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you talk to the creator of the universe as if he's your bro, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's... But we don't... I mean, I don't know your friends, but this, this seeps through all of our relationships where it's like, how can you ca- stay chaste if there's no boundaries? <laughs> if there's no sense of respect about things, that there needs to be real distance because distance actually makes you able to love. Otherwise, God's just an idol. It's really, we want and we make God into an idol all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. So that would be, it's just like, that's not how scripture talks. When Isaiah, you can go to Isaiah. What does Isaiah do when he encounters God in the throne room? He falls down on his face. Anytime anybody encounters an angel in the gospel, do they go, hey, you know, what's up? No, they're like, oh my gosh. Right? Like, they're like, God is not me. God is not you. God is, that's why the anaphora prayer starts off the invisible, the incomprehensible, like he's God. And it is an incredible gift that we're able to have the relationship in the son with the father that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not something to take lightly. And it actually, it should increase intimacy. Spouses, I mean, if you're in a marriage, like there has to be distance between the spouses in order to actually have a healthy relationship. Otherwise, codependence, all sorts of other stuff comes up. And it's a problem because you're two people. This is why like the Trinity, it's, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that love is the, in the definition of God because there's love that flows Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, there is a, it's a mystery exactly how there is a difference in the unity of God. But this is at the basis of reality. So some of this is, this is something that you're going to engage with people in general, is that some people are just not going to get it, and it's okay. This is some, and, and you won't be, it doesn't matter what defense, what answer you have, because they can't hear it or they haven't experienced enough. And all that your responsibility to do is share what you have witnessed and what you know and understand, and you don't know what seeds that you will be planting. I have multiple friends over the past, you know, 15 years that I planted seeds four or five years ago, and they're now interested in orthodoxy. But it wasn't, right? It just, you never know. Especially, I think, and this is me being a little apocalyptic and I'm going to have to end. Great way to end, I guess. Uh, I think what we're going to see is most of these churches with this um, playfulness with God or this kind of like, um, that's not the right word I want to use, uh, informality with God, they're going to they're going to leave the gospel behind at some point because they're going to cave on other things. They're going to start teaching false things about sexuality. They're going to start teaching false things because they want to be liked. And there's this tension that we have with the world, right? Like we're supposed to be of the world. We're supposed to be approachable. We're supposed to be fully human because that's what God wants us to be is fully good, normal human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that requires us at times to witness to things that are going to be false. I mean, we just sang, if you heard some of the hymnody around the Russian new martyrs, like the world just went insane around them. St. Anthony to quote, since he was just this feast uh, this past week, he says, there's going to be a time where everyone turns and destroys each other because they say, you're not like me. And like, I can't take you anymore. So I'm just going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, oh, uh, a quick um, correction. Uh, I think you said off the world, but I, I think it's in the world, not off the world. Right? Of the world, but in the world, but not of the world. Yes. And um, a quick summary of the, uh, the news. Um, it's not like, say, all right, well, I had an addiction to overeating, mm-hmm. and now I'm changing it to working out. It's, 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 it's not correlated, is it? No, what, the, the noose is your, let's just say heart. I, let's just get away from the Greek, okay? The heart, uh, the center of yourself, where Adrian is. Not in like, or the feelings, but this like deeper sense of self that underlies the emotions and the feel, uh, the thoughts. Your soul? Like the witness. 
We'll keep talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is part of the problem is modern psychology has really made this murky too. Because we either have a very like biological sense of this stuff, or we have like an existential or you know other things that we've added on. So we'll keep reading this. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to do the prayer. We're going to end, and then I'm going to hand this out. We can do one uh, household, and if I run out, uh, I can pronounce some more. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bye.